Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Well, hey, I'm so grateful that you chose to be with us today at Blaze Church. And today we have a really special opportunity to hear from Steve McCarthy. And so if you have been with us for a while, we have been blessed to partner with Steve and Jill and their family and what God has called them to do. You'll hear more about that work. But really was years ago where this relationship formed and Blaze Church, you just rallied around the vision that they have to see the gospel advance in Uruguay. And earlier this year, we cast more vision to say, hey, we want to actually see a local church built, like fully funded. And you responded to that vision. And now today, Steve is with us to share what God is doing, will do, and to encourage and invite you to be a part of the process. So would you guys give it up for Pastor Steve McCarthy as he comes to share the word with us. Awesome, you can go ahead and take a seat. Good morning, what a joy to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Keith, for the invitation and that that wonderful welcome. How many sense God's presence here in this place today? Isn't it nice to be able to come to a place where you know that you can worship God with other people that believe, other people that love and trust him, and that he can do stuff in our lives that no one else could ever do? That's right. That we could actually leave here different and changed and go out and accomplish the things that he has called us to do. I love going to churches as we are in this season of itineration and get to visit the different ones that partner with us and just see what God's doing in those places. And let me tell you, there's something special about Blaze Church. Come on. And we know you are blessed to be rooted and planted in this place. You have incredible pastors. You have incredible leadership here. And uh, I just want to honor them. And so thank you for allowing me to come. Thank you guys so much for your partnership, your prayers, your generosity, which enable us to be obedient to what God has called us to do in the nation of Uruguay. Um, you see a picture over here, my, my beautiful wife, Jill. Um, we've been married 15 years now and immediately start after getting married heading to the mission field. In fact, it was two days after our honeymoon that we interviewed to be missionaries. And yes, there were plenty of people that told us we were crazy. And so why would you ever jump into something like that when you've never once visited the country, you've never even been there before? And we just knew that, uh, that we were called as teenagers. And we couldn't see our married life starting any other way than being obedient to what God had asked us to do. And so we went out there, we interviewed to be missionaries. They asked to consider the country of Uruguay because at the time they said it was the least reached country in the Americas. That means from the north of Canada, tip of Argentina, very unchurched, least reached in that whole area. And uh, they said, we haven't had new missionaries in many years. Very few churches, will you go? And then they were kind, they said, two days why don't you take two days, pray about it, and let us know if you want to go and spend the rest of your lives there. <laughs> Not a big decision or anything, right? But uh, 48 hours later, we went back, and we said, you know what? We did some research, spent some time praying, and we really, really have peace. So let's do it. And uh, along the way, God's blessed us with three wonderful kids. We got Lucas. He's 10, Joshua, 7, and Julia, 3. And uh, just a ton of energy, but just, just, just such an amazing part of our family. And uh, we wouldn't... We wouldn't give the world for, for anything else. And so uh, honored to, to be their dad and uh, all that God's doing in our family. Um, in addition, has some really cool things happening with the ministry doors that God's opened there. We teach at a Bible school, helping train the next generation of pastors and leaders. We do outreaches through sports. 
we found that in Uruguay, there's some unique things. Not only is it an unreached country, but the majority of people would tell you that they're atheist or agnostic. They don't believe that God exists or they really just don't care. And um, it sounds a little bit like like our, our country day and age, right? And, uh, and so God gave us a strategy to use through the sport that they love there, soccer. And it just happens to be the sport that I love too. And so I was an All-American, played Division One here in the States and over in Europe. And little did I know that God had gifted me in that area so that later I could connect with Uruguayans through their greatest need and help to reveal to them their, uh, or through their greatest passion, help to reveal to them their their greatest need. And so we start soccer clubs for kids and then over time get to know their, their families. And later when we launch our churches, it's many of these families that are the first to come and attend and give their lives to Christ. And um, so we're involved in church planning as well too, um, helping plant and establish new churches in the least reached parts of the country. And so it means we do a lot of traveling, going those places. But it's so cool to see a healthy church planted within these and the transformation that it brings to people's lives. And then uh, we do a little bit of construction too, helping them get into their first building. So we prepared a little video that will show you a little bit of what that is like and some of the faces of the people you are helping to reach in the nation of Uruguay. Send me out to the world to make you know. Send me out to the world. I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be your voice every time I speak. I want to run to the ones in need. In the name of Jesus, I want to give my life away. All for your kingdom's sake. Shine a light in the darkest place. In the name of So the, the best thing about that video, those are new believers that have come to know Christ. Those are new churches that have been planted. They're new buildings that have been built. And God gave us an idea, something we call Hope for Uruguay 100, because we want to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the people of Uruguay. And it's to plant 100 churches and then build 100 sanctuaries for these new and growing congregations. And so to date, 35 new churches have been planted. 21 have been built. And... Uh, it, it, it's incredible what God's doing in a country that for years was called the graveyard of Latin American missions. And so thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much for your partnership, for your prayers. We could not do this without you. 
Um, you'll see actually at the end, um, a little stand pastor's being so, so kind to allow us to set up near the door. And I'll be passing out a few prayer cards. They look like that right there. If you would remember us and the people of Uruguay in your prayer, we would love to hand you one of those on your way out. How many know prayer is a powerful thing? does incredible things, not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm as well to prepare the way. And we really do covet your prayers. And uh, we just want to say thank you. This church has blessed us in more ways than we could ever imagine. In fact, as Pastor mentioned earlier this year, you guys took a special offering to help us build one of those churches down there in Uruguay. And we're hoping one day you could actually come down with a team as well and experience what, what that's like. And so thank you for your partners. Thank you for your love, your encouragement, your generosity, your uh, your prayers. It's because of the sacrifices that you make, we have an opportunity to be obedient to what God has called us to do and to go and share this good news in the nation of Uruguay. And so thank you for that. Um, this this morning, I uh, want to share a little message with you from uh, 1 Kings 17, I've simply entitled it, God and the Highly Unexpected. And it's a story of someone unexpected who goes to an unexpected place, but through their obedience, an unexpected and supernatural result occurs. And so we're gonna read from, from 1 Kings 17, um, story of uh, Elijah. And he shows up one day and uh, he has an encounter with the king of Israel, whose name was King Ahab. And King Ahab was this wicked, evil man. In fact, if you read the Bible, just the chapter before, it tells us that he was the most evil king up to that time. And if you know anything about the kings, there are, there are some pretty bad kings Israel had. And yet, the Bible declares him the most evil king that they had had up, up to that point. And if you think he was bad, though, his wife was even worse than him. Queen Jezebel was even worse. She was wicked. She was vile. She was manipulative. She turned the heart of the people from God to, to worship Baal. And she was even willing to kill for a little piece of property. And that was the day and age, that was the setting in which Elijah found himself. And yet he is so bold, he struts into the king's palace, he announces, he says, because of your sin and the idolatry in this country, it's not gonna rain for the next three years. Imagine you gotta hear from God if you're gonna go and do something like that, right? And then he leaves, he goes to the Kareth Ravine, he drinks water from the brook that's there and God miraculously provides food for him every single day with these ravens that come and bring him meat to eat. Must have been this incredible scene. But eventually, the brook dries up, and that's where our story picks up this morning. First Kings 17, and I'll begin reading in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she's going to get it, he called, Oh, and please bring me a piece of bread. Surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, just a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. A jar of flour will not be used up. A jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah has told her. And there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and for her family. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Here we have a woman, her son, gathering their last few sticks just to, just to be able to cook up their last meal, right? 
And yet God chooses in the midst of this difficult and dark situation to send a prophet to them. Now, as I mentioned, the leadership of that country was quite corrupt. The setting was difficult because they were they were worshiping Baal. There was a lot of iniquity and justice, you know, the corrupt leadership, idolatry, sin. It was just a difficult and a dark place. And yet in spite of that, I love how God brings hope. I love how he uses unexpected people and sends them to unexpected places because there's some people that are waiting to hear about him. God actually tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. That was the birthplace of Queen Jezebel. And the word means smelting place or a place of testing. So already right there, Elijah knew he was up for, for, for something, right? But this unexpected place that the Lord sends Elijah to isn't just Jezebel's hometown, but it was the epicenter of Baal worship. And so you can imagine how difficult it was for him to go there. God didn't choose to send him to the Hamptons. He didn't choose to send him to the Bible Belt where there are tons of churches. He didn't choose to send him to the islands of Hawaii or some, some snow-capped mountain. He chose to send him to the most difficult and dark and evil place of his country. And the question is why? Why would God do that? A place like where they worship Baal. Some integral components of it are sexual morality, shrine prostitutes, and child sacrifice. This was what this religious worship hinged around God could have sent him to a place of God-fearers, and yet he chose to send him to the difficult and the dark place of his time. I remember when uh, Jill and I were first approved as missionaries, they had shared with us a little bit about Uruguay, but I don't know that we captured the full extent of the situation there. It's very secular, um, uh, very unchurched. It was actually voted at one time the most liberal nation in the world. And, um, and I can remember when we arrived just how different it really was from what we expected. And I wonder if Elijah felt as uncomfortable going to Zarephath as maybe my wife and I felt when we first arrived in Uruguay. It's just so, so different, so challenging. But yet, God chose Elijah to go there for a reason. And he chose Jill and I to go to Uruguay for a reason. In fact, I think God sent Elijah to, to Zarephath not just because it was the epicenter of darkness, depravity, and demonic activity, but because it was also the epicenter of where the lost people in his nation were. And sometimes God chooses to send us to difficult and dark places because there's someone there that needs to know him. There's someone there that's just in a hopeless and desperate situation, and there's waiting for someone to come with a message of grace and forgiveness and mercy, a message about God that can transform their life. Jill and I had just arrived in Uruguay a couple weeks before and uh, going our first trip up north to build a, a, uh, a new church. And we get a call from our security company that our house had been robbed. And I, I was a little naive. I said, what do you mean? We got, we got security bars on all the windows. You know, have you seen that? And got a fence and big door out front. And they said, well, you don't have a door anymore. They took an ax and chopped it down. I said, okay. So we went back and sure enough, they had gotten in and taken some stuff. But the, the thing that shocked me the most was we found out who had robbed us and they were neighbors. Do you believe that? They lived two doors down from us and to feed their drug habit, they would steal from everybody in our community. And, um, and so I ended up finding out who it was. And so I did the only reasonable thing. I took an ax, I chopped down their door and I took my stuff back. <laughs> No, I actually didn't do that. There, there are a few shocked looks on some places. But uh, no, I didn't. Do it. I took a soccer ball, something I love and something I thought they might. And I walked to their house and I said, anybody want to play? And they came running out into the road that day. We played a game. 
And I began to share with them a little bit about my life and my story. Fast forward one year, we're coming out of church one day and uh, two teenagers are waiting for me. And they said, uh, you remember who we are? And I said, their names. I said, yeah, you're, you're my neighbors. I said, guess what? We just got saved this week. We came to a teen challenge here because we're trying to get our lives straightened out and get off drugs. And yes. we just, we, we haven't had much contact with our family. Would you go and tell our family that we're safe? I said, absolutely, I'd love to. And so that night I had the privilege of walking through a door I wanted to chop down just a year earlier <laughs> and going in and sharing with their family that their boys were safe, they were part of this program and how much God loved them. As I walked out that day, I did glance around to see if my TV was mounted on their wall or any of my wife's shoes were out. But uh, I realized something. God was more concerned with the spiritual condition of my neighbor's heart than he was with my comfort and my possessions. And sometimes in life, God allows us to go to difficult and dark situations because there's some people there that are desperate to know him. And they might not just hear any other way. God's just looking for some people to say yes, to leave comfort zone, to step out in faith and see what he might do in and through us to help change our community and our world. Reminds me of uh, another guy named Mauricio. He, uh, he was living on the streets part of the occult. And one day through an open window on a Sunday morning, he hears someone speaking about God and he didn't quite understand everything, but he knew something was, was touching his heart. There's so much. So he got up, he walked down the road, he found the first church he could, and he walked in. He ends up giving his life to Christ, his life changed. I meet him three years later at that very church. He comes down to the altar to pray at the end. And he says to me, he says, Steve, I don't know why, but I just feel like God wants me to plant a church. And so I said, well, let's go talk to your pastor. We're talking to his pastor. They tell me his story, the great growth and the amazing things they've seen in his life in these three years. And his pastor said, let's do it. Let's help him plant a church. And so we walk through the process with him. It's a year-long process we do of mentorship and training to help a new a young couple launch their, their very first church. And, um, and so we end up launching it. They're doing great. And I challenge them like I do our other ones. I said, you acquire the property. We'll come alongside and help you build. And so this community of new believers, they got so excited. They, 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 they sacrificed. They were generous, just like you guys. And, 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 and so they, they bought their first property, and we were in to build there. They were number 13 in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. Isn't it cool what God can do with even an unexpected person like Mauricio? He loves him and cares about him so much in a hopeless situation on the street that God would use him to make a difference. Sergio is another guy who, 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 who just, just, just consumed by drugs, just, just having some, some difficult things in his life. And he showed up at church for the very first time. Never been there before. And actually didn't even enter the church. He, the windows were open. It was a hot summer day. He walks up, strolls up, and he looks in, and hears the pastor talking about the Holy Spirit that day. He says, I, I, I don't know much about this. So he, he, he never been to church before. He didn't quite understand the, the etiquette. But he says, excuse me, sir, 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 sir. You're talking about the Holy Spirit. I've invited every other spirit I've ever heard of to live inside of me. I've never heard of the Holy Spirit before. Who is he? Pastor said, why don't you come in? We'll tell you all about him. And so that day he gave his life to Christ. God set him free in a powerful way. Comes to our Bible school and uh, ends up graduating there, became a pastor. And uh, he's pastoring a church in Pondo. And they were church number seven that we've built in the Hope for Uruguay project. Isn't it amazing? Because if you talk to him, he tell you, I'm, I'm an unexpected person in an unexpected place making an eternal difference. God's just looking for some people that would say yes. And maybe our biggest excuse is that we feel unworthy at times. We feel like that unexpected person, that highly unlikely person. We say, I don't have the giftings, I don't have the abilities, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources. I just can't do this on my own. But God, 
God chooses people like that with a willing heart and a good attitude. He's just looking for some people that say yes, to begin to use what he's placed in our lives. And I believe if each one of us is faithful and obedient to do that, we will see many changed for his glory. God chooses unexpected people, sends them to unexpected places because there's lost people waiting for him. Question is, are we willing? Are we willing to say yes, no matter what the cost? When we do, though, amazing thing happen. Lives are changed. People are set free. Churches are established. And God receives the glory. Marcelo and Cecilia were in northern Uruguay. And uh, they were teachers tending their church. And one day, they just sensed that God wanted them to plant a church. They heard about a community about 100 kilometers away. Had no church at all. No Catholic church, no Protestant church, nothing. And they said, we really feel like God wants to go and us to go and plant a church there. So they quit their jobs. They sold their houses. They moved with their three kids to this new community. And the realization of what they had done sunk in. And I get a call from Marcelo his first Sunday there. He says, Steve, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but we're just trying to be obedient to God. Could you could you come and help us? And we said, absolutely. And so we walked through this process. We helped them establish this new church. And one of the strategies that we use is sports, soccer, as a way to build relationship with people and then build again their trust and share with them about Jesus. And so he said, I want to do a soccer tournament for the men in this community. And uh, so we did one that day. At the end, we finished with a nice asado. It's, it's, it's a big thing. They eat tons of steak and beef in Uruguay. And so they do it all over the open coals and the, the chorizo sausages. It's just this beautiful thing that, that, that we have. And so we finished with that and we shared the message of Jesus with them. And a number of men put their faith in him that day. It was beautiful because later when we launched our home groups and then moved to our Sunday morning services, they would bring their families and they were the first families to join this local community of believers. Everything was going well. In fact, they, they, they raised money to buy their first property in, in record time. They got so excited because it'd be the first church in their community. They bought this beautiful corner lot and uh, we came and built their church number four that we built in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. And everything seemed to be going well. It was growing six months along. They were until one day I get a call from Cecilia and she says, Steve, Marcelo's just hospitalized, heart condition. We're not sure what's going on. The doctors are trying to check it out. And a week later he dies. You can imagine the impact it had on this family and this this new church. And a widow that was left with three kids, and she just questions, you know, did God really call us to sell our home and leave our family and our church and move to to to, to this new thing? And but along the way, as we walked through the process with her, she, she came to the realization that it wasn't just her husband that was called, but it was her family. And she said, I'll, I'll assume the role of the, the pastor here and continue what God's called us to do. And God's done an amazing thing through them. The church has tripled in size. She's been able to leave her job as a teacher and come on full time there. And each one of her kids is serving alongside of her. And there's a beautiful thing happening in the community of KY. If she was here today, she would tell us once again, unexpected person in an unexpected place. But through her faithfulness and through her obedience, lives are being changed. There was another widow, another single mom that we read about this morning. And she didn't have it easy. She was just trying to raise her child. She was a a Gentile, a non-believer. We know that because at one point when she's talking to Elijah, she doesn't say my God, she says your God, right? She was probably a Baal worshiper living in that community. She was in a hopeless situation. Barely had enough for one more meal. Desperate times. Living in the middle of a famine. 
And yet, God chose to send Elijah to her at this point in desperation to show her that there was a God in Israel, a God who loved her, and a God who desperately cared about her. Now, I have to say, Elijah probably had his doubts as he went there that day. And he saw the situation and he thought, this widow's supply for my needs. Probably thought, isn't there a wealthy family that could help? Anybody, Moss Bezos, Gates, Buffett, come on, anybody from the Walton family could have helped a little bit better than her. And yet, in spite of that, God had chosen her to make a difference in his life. In fact, Elijah makes a request for water. That was really common in that culture. But then he also asked her, he says, can you bring me some bread, something not quite as common, you know, culturally there. And the woman began to think immediately, I don't have any bread. I don't even have enough for myself and my son, let alone something to share. She just kept thinking, I can't. I don't have enough. I don't have the resources. I don't have the ingredients. I don't have the money. It's impossible. How can I really help this guy who I barely even know when my family has such a great need? I wonder if we've ever thought like that widow did. I can't help because I don't have enough. I don't have the resources. I'm in a stable position financially. I couldn't possibly give to that because I got, got to provide for my family. Or I don't have enough time. Life's just too busy. I got to do this with the kids and the school and work. And I just, I, I just, I just can't do it. I just don't. Can't serve, can't help, I just don't have enough time. And oftentimes we look at the excuses rather than, 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 than what we could do. We look at the gravity and normally the problem. Instead of thinking about what we could do, we get overwhelmed by the fact that we can't do everything. And we choose to do nothing instead of just the one thing God's asked us to do. God doesn't ask us to do everything. He just asks us to be faithful to do the one next thing that he wants us to do. Faithful to use the thing he placed in our hand. Faithful to be obedient one moment at a time. And when we do that, it's amazing what God can do. Here's Elijah, unexpected place with this unexpected person, and then the unexpected plan comes. Elijah says, first make for me a loaf of bread from what you have, bring it to me, then make something for yourself. Come on, somebody, that's pretty bold. Provide for me first before you provide for your son. <laughs> but he was a bold prophet. He walked, strutted, I should say, into the king's palace and said, it's not going to rain for the next three years. Shortly after this, he goes up to Mount Carmel and he takes on hundreds of prophets of Baal to see which God answers by fire. You remember the story? And he says, you know what? I'm so confident that my God's going to respond. We're just going to pour water on the sacrifice and keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring. That's the type of prophet he was, all right? So when he heard the voice of God, he trusted it. You say, why would he go and he'd ask a poor widow just gathering a few sticks for us? Why would he ever ask her to make some bread for them? Well, because God had directed him to. Verse 9 says, go to Zarephath. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. And even though it seemed highly unlikely, even though it seemed completely unexpected, the strategy that this widow could provide for him, it worked. Yeah. And she did. And not just for one meal, but for day after day after day. I'm glad there's a woman there who was willing to do her part, who was willing to say yes, even though it seemed difficult, or they would have missed out on an incredible miracle. I wonder, have we ever missed out on one because we just wouldn't do the one thing that God had asked us to do? My wife and I dearly did. We had gotten a vision from God, dream to, to do this 
Hope for Uruguay 100. And so initially, years ago, we had started with the church planning part of it. But along the way, we saw the need. These new congregations, they were meeting in rented storefronts under tents. Um, they were they're, they're meeting in, in, in people's homes and garages. And they were just really limited in the, in the amount of time that they could meet, the days they could meet, or in the space that they had. And they weren't reaching their, their, their potential. And so we said, gosh, what, what could happen if they had their own building? What would happen if they had their very first church building in this community? Like, what, what, what could God do? It would position them for the growth spiritually and numerically that they needed and they wanted to see. And so he gave us an idea to build some churches. And I am not good with construction. I knew nothing about it before this, but it was just one of those things. We saw the need. How I many know sometimes the need becomes the call? And, uh, and so we saw the need and we said, all right, God, if that's the way you want to use me, I feel overwhelmed. I don't have the resources. I don't have the experience. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the... Uh, uh, but God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. And so we got past that hurdle. We decide, and things started to line up. We had some, some, some pastors and some businessmen that are supposed to come. They're supposed to be our seed money to get things started. We had 12 construction teams from different churches lined up that were going to come, even some from the island here, to build these first churches. We had everything lined up, and we decided we're going to kick it off in March of 2020. We had our first team arriving March 15th, and they closed our borders because of the pandemic March 13th. I actually called them that day. I said, don't get on the flight tomorrow. You wouldn't arrive. <laughs> and everything changed. Schools closed. Government offices closed. They wouldn't let churches meet. You remember the fear that, that was just overwhelming everybody. And it was just, just this, this crazy season that, that we were in. And we said, well, maybe we should just pause this. We'll wait two weeks till they reopen things or wait a few months or but along the way God just kept reminding us he said Steve because there's people that are desperate for me right now and that doesn't change because of a pandemic and so we decided to move forward even though we didn't know how even though we knew the teams couldn't come even though we had lost this whole thing of investing with the financial part we said we don't know where the resources come from we don't know where the the, the, the labors come from but we we're, we're just going to move forward because these communities need a good Bible-believing church. They need a place where they can find Jesus and grow in their faith. Let me tell you something. God's been so faithful. Miracle after miracle that we've seen. The 21 churches that have been built completely miraculously. Every single one with local volunteers. And, uh, and God's, God's done it time and time again. Fully funded. Able to do what we're doing. And you just see the growth that's happened in these churches as a result from their buildings. And so thank you for being part of that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for helping us to be able to build these churches in Uruguay. At the very first one, there was a guy named Antonio. He showed up, and uh, we built the churches in six days, and the seventh day, we dedicate them. And um, so he shows the first day, and uh, I hadn't ever seen him before, so I went and introduced myself, and I said, what's your name? He says, Antonio. And I said, how'd you come today? And he said, my wife goes to church here. He goes, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, so I've never come. But uh, he goes, I, I love to lay brick, retired Mason, and, um, you know, you guys could probably use a hand. And I said, yes, we could. And you're going to work with me because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so we started on the walls on the side and I realized very quickly how, how gifted he was. And so at the end of the day, I said, Antonio, would you consider coming back tomorrow? We could really use you. And he did. Same thing at the end of the second night. I said, Antonio, man, you, you've been so good. He said, can, can you come back third day and fourth day and fifth day? And he, he was there the whole week. And so at the end, I said, hey, six days, you've been here with us every step away. We're going to dedicate this church tomorrow. We're going to have a special celebration for all those. Would you come and be our special guest? And he said, I'll think about it. But guess who came the next day? Antonio. And as we gave the altar call at the end of that service, he came down in front and responded. 
But the beautiful thing was, he didn't come alone. He brought his kids and he brought his grandkids with him. And he said later to me, he said, the reason I wanted them to come down with me was this. He said, all their lives I told them that God doesn't exist. And I want them to see me make this decision. Because this week as I was here working, I sensed something I've never experienced before. And I realized there was a God who loved me, who cared about me. And I needed to give my life to him. They ended up being, being baptized shortly after Antonio with many of his kids and grandkids. And as he came up out of the water, he comes over to me and says, Steve, thanks so much for coming here and changing the course of our family history. And I looked at him, I said, you know, I didn't change the course of your family history. God did. But I realized something that day. This is probably what he meant. He said, our obedience opens the door so people have a chance to hear about Jesus. Our faithfulness opens doors so that lives can be changed. And so thank you for being a church that prioritizes reaching lost people. Thank you for being a church that cares about helping those in need, helping people find a way to know Jesus. Your prayers, your encouragement, your generosity, they help us to be able to go and do that in the nation of Uruguay. And we're forever grateful for that. I once heard it said, impossible is where God starts, but miracles are what he does. You see, if it was possible, we could do it in our own strength, our own ability, in our own time. But it's in those impossible moments where we feel like, God, without you, we can't do this. That's when we get to see the miracles. That's when we get to step out in faith. And that's what we're believing for for your church. That's what we're believing for for the nation of Uruguay. Because when God moves us to a dream beyond what we can do, it's only he who can supply, provide, and bring those miracles. And so we're excited about what's going on. We're believing that the churches have been planted. They're just the beginning of what God wants to do there. And the same thing for you. What we're seeing today, this is just the beginning of what God wants to do through Blaze Church to bless this community and bless the island. I'm so glad that there was a widow there who didn't focus on what she didn't have, but was willing to use what she had in her hands. You see, it's impossible to be generous if we only think about what we don't have. And I love this. The ingredients for the miracle that she needed were right there with her the whole time. She might not have used it, realized it, but the flour, the oil, the water. It's enough to make a simple loaf of bread there. Now, I'm not exactly sure how it all went down, but at some point she realized that something miraculous was occurring. Maybe it was when she took the, the jar of flour, felt a little bit heavier than it had before. Maybe she grabbed the jug of oil, began to pour it out, and a little more sloshed out than should have been in there. Maybe it was she finished it, but then looked back in there, and these were just empty. And now, now there's more in there. What's going on? Who knows? But every day as she went to make food, there was enough there for what they needed. And she realized that God didn't just send the prophet Elijah to her to give her some food but to remind her that he loved her, that he cared about her, that he had a plan and purpose for her life and for her son, and that the worship that she had towards those, that, that, that wasn't the real thing, but that there was a God in Israel who was worthy of all of her praise and all of her worship. I'd like to invite the, the worship team to, to come up and join me here. The needs of the poor widow were not insignificant to God. Neither are our needs. God knows where we're at. He knows our situation. He knows our family. He knows our marriage. He knows our relationship. He knows what's going on. And our needs are not insignificant to him. And he was willing to send Elijah to strengthen her at a desperate and a hopeless point of her life, a time where she felt completely lost. Aren't you glad that God sends people like that to us too? Not just for a material blessing, but a spiritual blessing for each of our lives. And the beautiful thing of the story is there was 
the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord. Every day, there's enough food for Elijah, for the woman, and for her family. I love it. In spite of any doubt she had, she gave. Not out of her abundance, but actually out of her lack, and a completely unexpected result occurred. Her obedience and her generosity opened the door to the miraculous. An unexpected person, an unexpected place, in an unexpected way, was obedient. And God did an unexpected miracle. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? Who uses unlikely people like you and me? Unexpected people who are just willing to say yes. Just willing to take a step of faith in our lives and see what he wants to do. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Unexpected people in unexpected places to do unexpected things. And I believe when we're faithful and obedient, we'll get to see some unexpected miracles along the way. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? This is shared about today. We got to hear the story of this incredible woman who was able to meet a need. But along the way, she realized something even more important. She realized that there was a God who loved her, a God who cared about her, a God who had a plan and a purpose for her life. Today, there might be some people here you're just coming to that same realization. You say, you know what? I want to put my faith in a God like that. I want to put my hope and my trust in a God like that. One who has a plan, one who has a purpose for my life. One who loved me so much that he was willing to send his son to the cross to die so that I might have new life in him. See, that's the beautiful thing about God is that he loves and he cares about us so much that he was willing to give the very best gift. He doesn't require us to do certain amount of good things to earn it. He just asks for us to place our faith and our trust in him. In fact, Romans 10, 9 reminds us that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The amazing thing about that is it does an internal work in our hearts and our lives, but it also helps prepare a place so that we can spend eternity with God in heaven. In just a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer. It's a simple prayer, nothing not, nothing special about it, except this, that if we truly pray it with all of our hearts, a miraculous work happens in our life that changes us and sets us free. It has our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so if you would like to pray that, I'm gonna actually invite everybody that's here to, to pray with me. But if, if you're gonna like to place your faith in God for the very first time, as we pray that, I'd ask you to just, just slip up your hand just to acknowledge that. And we're gonna pray this together, asking God to come in and change to transform our lives. So would you join me in prayer congregation? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. I ask that you would forgive my sins. I ask that you would change my life. I ask that you would set me free. Today I choose to place my faith and my hope in you. I trust in you, Lord. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in my life. Help me to understand your plan and purpose so I can continue to be obedient to what you want me to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Blaze Church, would you celebrate with heaven right now that is rejoicing as people are putting their faith in Jesus? Hey, if you made that decision for the first time, we wanna give you a Bible, we wanna give you a Next Steps resource. So on that blue card, there's a spot that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. Check that off, bring it to the back. Nina will meet you there and put a gift in your hands. Before we sing this response song, I would love for us to pray over Steve and the work that God has called him and his family to. Hey, Blaze Church, you're a part of this work. Earlier this year, you gave $21,500. Can we celebrate that to fully fund a new church being established? You did that because God called you to and you said yes. God is more than able. He's looking for a people who will say yes. Keep saying yes to God. Do not give up on generosity, on praying, and on being that unexpected person in the unexpected place. God is going to use our church as a collective to keep reaching people for Jesus. So would you stand to your feet right now? I'm gonna ask Steve to come back up for a moment as we pray over him, and then we'll respond with a worship song. Father, I thank you so much for Steve. I thank you for the plans that you have for him. I thank you that they are good plans. And I thank you that your heart is for the lost to know who you are. We read in scripture that it is not your will that any should perish, but all should have everlasting life. And you have called Steve and Jill and their family to go. And you're calling Blaze Church to support, to pray, to financially give, to partner in the vision that you've given them, hope for Uruguay. And so I pray that they would prosper in this vision. I pray that you would bring the provision. I pray that you would accelerate the pace of the vision through the generosity of your people, that you would call your church to give sacrificially, willingly, cheerfully, and even beyond what we see so that we can see lost people saved. Thank you that he invested this time to be with us today. Bless him, and we look forward to what you're gonna do through Blaze Church and hope for Uruguay. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now celebrate what God has called our church to do.